The epistle for this Sunday is taken from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Brethren, I make known unto you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast after what manner I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and after that by the eleven. Then was he seen by more than five hundred brethren at once, of whom many remain until this present day, and some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and last of all he was seen also by me, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace in me has not been void. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the seventh chapter of the gospel of St. Mark. At that time, Jesus, going out of the coast of Tyre, came by Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the mists of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring to him one deaf and dumb, and they besought him that he would lay his hand upon him, and taking him from the multitude apart, he put his fingers into his ears, and spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he groaned and said to him, Ephetah, which is, Be thou opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke correctly. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal did they publish it, and so much the more did they wonder, saying, He has done all things well. He has made both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Father, dear faithful, because we have this special situation where we have this wonderful statue of Our Lady of Buen Successor with us, I wanted to speak to you about the history of the making of this statue and the story behind it. It all started back in the 16th century when Our Lady appeared to a cloistered conceptionist sister in Ecuador, Mother Mariana de Jesus Torres. So, as I say, she was a conceptionist sister. The conceptionist sisters were founded by a Portuguese woman in the 1484 in Toledo, Spain. The conceptionists are called conceptionists because they have a special devotion to Our Lady under the title of the Immaculate Conception. You probably know that that's also patroness of the United States, Our Lady under the title of the Immaculate Conception. So this Portuguese saint, St. Beatrice Silva, she was unjustly imprisoned by the Queen of Portugal, who was jealous of her beauty. And when she was in prison, she had this apparition of Our Lady. Our Lady appeared to her and said that she wanted Beatrice to found a convent and start a new order of nuns. After Beatrice was released from prison, she went to Spain. She started her convent in 1484. And from Toledo, where she started that first convent, the order began to spread in Spain and then Spanish colonies as well. So the order hopped over to the New World in 1540 when it went to Mexico. And then in South America, 
there were some influential ladies in the Spanish colony of Ecuador, and they heard about this conceptionist order, and they petitioned King Philip II, the famous King Philip II, um, to have these conceptionist nuns come to Ecuador and establish a colony. So King Philip II, he agreed, and you see how there, how the Spanish uh, monarchy sort of had a certain control uh, over the church in Spain. There was, there was heavy control of the monarchy in Spain, but, it, but in the end, it, it was uh, to a large part for the good. So King Philip agreed. He got together a group of nuns and had them get on a boat and go all the way to Ecuador. And there was one nun that was the appointed as a superior. Um, her name was Mother Maria of Jesus. And she was the aunt of the future Mother Mariana. And Mother Mariana, in fact, was on the boat, went over with her aunt, and even though she was only nine years old at the time. And as the years went on, and Mother Mariana became a teenager, she eventually decided to pursue a vocation with those conceptionist nuns, where her aunt was the mother superior. So this new conceptionist convent was founded on January 13, 1577, in Ecuador, in Quito, Ecuador, and it was dedicated under the title of um, the Immaculate Conception. It was called the Convent, and to this day is called the Convent of the Immaculate Conception. From the very first days of that convent, it seemed like Our Lady had a special predilection, a special love for that religious house because she decided to do something with that house that she had never done before and she has never done since. After Mother Mariana became the superioress of the convent, Our Lady appeared to her and announced to Mother Mariana that she, Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin, wanted to be the abbess of the convent, that she wanted to become a member of that religious order, and that she wanted to be the superior of the convent, and not just for sort of like one term or or for a, a, a limited period of time, but she wanted to be the superior of the convent even till the end of the world. To this day, the, the conceptionist nuns there in Quito, Ecuador, they consider Our Lady to be their superioress, to be their abbess. So Mother Mariana asked, sorry, Our Lady asked Mother Mariana to commission a statue to be made of her, and this statue would represent her as the abbess of the convent. It would, she, would, she would hold a crozier. You might, you might realize that it's not just bishops who wield croziers, but, but even um, abbesses have historically, especially abbesses in Spain, have historically wielded a crozier as a symbol of their authority. And this statue would also have the keys of the convent wrapped around the hands of Our Lady. Again, to symbolize the fact that she is the mother superior of the convent. So Mother Mariana commissioned this statue to be made, and Our Lady predicted that it would be completed miraculously. There was this very good sculptor who was, who was sculpting the statue, and he reached a certain point, and he needed special paints for the face of Our Lady and the face of Our Lord. And he was looking for exactly the right paints, and then one night some angels came and completed the faces of the statue miraculously. And then it was, it was the next day, I don't know exactly when it was, but shortly thereafter, 
that Our Lady appeared to, to Mother Mariana and then entered into the statue. She animated the statue such that she moved through the statue, made the statue alive. Now, one thing that, that's very important for us to consider when we look at this story, because it concerns the very essence of what Our Lady was after in making this apparition, because Our Lady just doesn't um, do these things randomly. She always has something in mind. She always has some specific purpose. And we find the purpose of Our Lady's apparition to Mother Mariana and her wanting to be the abbess, to be a religious of the conceptionist nuns in the name that she chose for herself. Because you know that when uh, a young woman enters the convent, she comes in with her, with her name, you know, like she might be Jane Doe or wh whatever her name is. And then she takes on a different name when she makes her profession because it's, it's symbolic of a change of life. And she might choose some specific mystery of our faith as her particular devotion. And, and so when she does that and she's granted that name, she has um, that name associated with her for the rest of her life and she focuses on that particular mystery in her spirituality. So you might have um, Teresa of the Child Jesus, you know, the famous, famous Carmelite nun, or Teresa of Jesus, the, the famous Carmelite nun in Spain. Um, there's Mother Mary of the Incarnation, this, this nun in Quebec. Um, there's, there's all these different titles that people choose, John of the Cross, wh whatever it may be. They choose some specific title, and this is exactly what Our Lady did. She said, I'm going to become a religious of the order, and I will be called Mary, a buen successo de la purificación. I will be uh, Mary of the good event of the purification. So she's choosing the fourth joyful mystery to be the specific focus of her religious life in this convent. So Our Lady became, as it were, a nun of that order under that title of Our Lady of the Purification, and she became its superioress. And to this day, this miraculous statue is still in this convent in Quito. It stands above the chair of the abbess of the convent, and they keep a stall in the choir empty, representing that that is the place of Our Lady. If you go to a convent, typically you have choir stalls on both sides, and the, and the nuns pray the divine office, and there's a strict pecking order in those choir stalls, and there's one for the superior, and, and then the second in command, third in command, all the way down the line. And so they keep the, fir the, the chair for the first in command open because that is Our Lady's spot. From that point, Our Lady was the superioress of the convent, and there was another superior who's like her vicar. With regards to Mother Mariana, Our Lady began to direct her for the next 40 years to instruct her and make various revelations to her. Be, she made many prophecies. Our Lady made many prophecies to Mother Mariana about the future. And there were two main reasons why she did this. One reason was so that she would motivate Mother Mariana to become a victim soul where she would offer herself to do penance and to experience many, many sufferings for 
the period of time that Our Lady was telling her about. What was that period of time? It was our period of time. She was talking to her about the end of the 19th century and the whole of the 20th century, predicting a great crisis in the church that would occur. And she wanted Mary, Mother Mariana already to do many acts of penance for that time, to draw graces upon that time, because that time would need it much more than her own time. The second reason why Our Lady made these predictions about the future was to authenticate her apparitions. If she made these predictions of you know, centuries later, that these things would happen centuries later, and they actually happened, then people would say, I think that Our Lady Wincesso is um, authentic. It's an authentic apparition. So the prophecies she, she made did not just concern Quito and Ecuador. They were about the church. They were about society. They were about the world as a whole in those specific centuries, what would happen. And, and this is what I think makes this apparition so interesting for us because many of the prophecies concern our own time. I want to focus specifically on one of the most important apparitions, one that occurred on February 2nd, the Feast of the Purification in 1634, the 40th anniversary of Our Lady's first appearance to Mother Mariana. So Mother Mariana was... Um, in the chapel. It was nighttime. It was dark. And she was praying before the Blessed Sacrament. And if any of you have ever gone to the chapel at nighttime um, and there's no lights on and you're doing a holy hour, it's, it's kind of very special to, to do that if you've, if you've ever done that. Um, what you notice is that the only light you see is that of the sanctuary lamp. And, and that little flame is much more brilliant than you would expect. It gives us much more light than you would expect when you're doing your holy hour. But this is what was going on with Mother Mariana. She was in the chapel. The sanctuary light was on. And then all of a sudden, it went out. The flame was gone. And she was cast into utter darkness. It was just totally dark. And Our Lady explained the significance of this sanctuary lamp going out. She said that the main symbolism behind this was that there would be a great loss of faith in the future. That certain members of the Catholic clergy would become as thieves, stealing that tabernacle light and casting many people into darkness. That They would rob the light of the faith. They would take away doctrine, dogma, and tradition, and as it were, leaving many people in a great darkness without even so much as the light, even that little light of the sanctuary lamp. That was the main significance. There were four other symbolisms, Our Lady said, um, when she was instructing Mother Mariana. The second reason for the light going out, she said, was that the conceptionist community there would shrink and would even be infected with bad attitudes and false charity as a result of the spirit that would pervade the church at the time. The third thing represented was that during the 20th century, there would be a massive campaign against the virtues of chastity and purity, and that there would hardly be any more these two virtues in the world. Our Lady even went so far as to say that at that time, there would hardly be any virgins left in the world. 
The fourth reason the lamp was put out was to show how much influence the secret societies would have on the church, especially in causing children to lose their innocence, and as a result, very few people were offering themselves for a religious vocation. The extinction of the religious vocation because of the corruption of children. And then the last reason for the lamp going out is to represent those who would have means to help the church but would do nothing. They would be in darkness, they would have means, perhaps they would have financial means, other means to help the church, and they would do nothing. They would not lift a finger to help restore the church. So Our Lady was portraying for Mother Mariana a terrible period of the church which we know that we're now going through because there's this great crisis in the church, there's this great crisis in society, and there's this great materialism. She was predicting a time where there would be uh, a vast flooding of materialism into the world. People would become very sensual, and as a result, there would be hardly any vocations left. And of course, those are the two main characteristics of our time. We could even say that Our Lady of Fatima was predicting the same thing when she said that Russia would spread her errors throughout the world, and the main error of Russia is atheistic materialism, to completely immerse people in material things. So this is our times, and whenever people become immersed in material things to the degree, they become less spiritual. And they become completely focused on the world. All they look for in this life is selfishly pursuing their own pleasures and enjoyment. And the last thing they, they want to think about is sacrificing themselves for some higher ideal, especially some supernatural ideal. Sacrificing themselves for something that does not concern this world at all. It is purely transcendent, some purely transcendent goal. That's the last thing that they're going to want to be doing. And all of this that that Our Lady is speaking about, um, the solution to all of it is represented in the title that she chooses for herself when she calls herself Our Lady of the Purification. Because what happens in that fourth joyful mystery is that Our Lady goes to the temple to offer a sacrifice and to present her firstborn to God. This was demanded by the Jewish law because of the fact that God saved the firstborn of the Israelites when they were in Egypt and preserved them from the tenth plague. So the Jewish mothers were required to go and present a sacrifice on behalf of their firstborn to God. And even we, we in the Society of St. Pius X, the Archbishop Lefebvre chose for, for us in the seminary for the day that we take the cassock and the day that we take the tonsure That's the day we we more or less are offering ourselves for the first time to the church. We're offering our lives for for the service of the church. That it happened on the Feast of the Purification, February 2nd. And that's traditionally always been seen as a day when people would come to the church and offer themselves for the service of God. And this is why Our Lady chose this title for herself. She represented by her saying, I want to be a religious in your order, and I want to be a religious who takes the name of Our Lady of the Purification. She was representing the solution to the problems that she was predicting. 
this vast materialism, this vast loss of vocations, this impurity flooding the whole world is conquered by consecrated virgins, by people giving their life to religion in the religious state. Our Lady, we may say, was, was also, I mean, she was deploring a world to come where sacrifice would no longer be esteemed. We, we, we perhaps guess as well that she was deploring a church where the sacrifice of the Mass would be denatured. That's another major reason why there's so few vocations today is because even the sacrifice of the Mass itself has been so diminished. One of the main things with the new Mass is they were wanting to hide the sacrificial nature of the Mass in order to make the Mass more acceptable to Protestants who don't believe in sacrifice. They don't believe in ritual sacrifice. So they, I mean, the, the, the new Mass still has the elements of sacrifice, but they are hidden. If you, if you look at the rite itself, it's, you, you have to look very closely to still say it's a sacrifice. And if you don't go to a liturgy that clearly represents sacrifice to you, our Lord's sacrifice on the cross, then why would you yourself want to present your life as a sacrifice to God? It's just not very inspiring. So my dear faithful, there's a number of things that should endear us to Our Lady of Buen Suceso. And I, and I, don't, I don't translate it into English. Um, in fact, even the nuns there in Quito, they ask that we not translate it into English because um, English speakers get the wrong idea. The tendency is to translate it literally, to call it Our Lady of Good Success. Or uh, people tend to think, okay, you know, it's Our Lady of Good Luck. They, they end to tend to turn Our Lady into some materialistic good luck charm, and that's the exact opposite of, of what Our Lady is wanting in this. It's supposed to be a very spiritual thing. And if we call it Our Lady of Good Success, we think, well, well, it's Our Lady to help me have commercial success, monetary success, or whatever. And that's just not at all what this apparition is about. It's about us becoming more spiritual, not using Our Lady as some good luck charm so that we can have material advantage in this life. So... Our Lady of Buen Successo should be dear to us. One reason is that she talks about our times. She's speaking to Mother Mariana, yes, but she's also speaking to us in our day. She's telling us, she's telling us about the world that we live in, about the crisis that we're going through in church and society. Thus, there's a special connection between Our Lady of Buen Successo in our own times. And if we want the situation in the church and the world to improve, we should go to her, she who presents to us this solution and who really offers to us um, this invocation of her under this title as a special aid to the particular difficulties of our time. And perhaps that's already uh, the intention that some of you have chosen for your novena when, when we, we pray this novena. Perhaps you're, you're praying um, for the restoration of the church. Perhaps you're praying for the restoration of society, um, for a restoration of, of a greater practice of religion, greater godliness in society. I don't know, but it's a very good intention um, be, because Our Lady Wayne Sasso is, is here for that purpose. A second thing that should endear us to Our Lady Wayne Sasso is her focus on the religious life and the restoration of vocations. I mean, this is the very mission of the Society of St. Pius X. The reason why the Archbishop founded the Society is because he had this dream of restoring the priesthood, of um, forming good priests for the Church. And when you form good priests, 
and the priests are able to speak to the faithful and encourage the faithful about the religious life and, and communicate holiness to them, really, um, then you have a lot more religious vocations that come. You have a lot more young people who want to offer their lives for the service of God. So this is very much a work of the central work of the Society of St. Pius X to restore the priesthood and through that to restore the religious life. And that's why there's all these religious orders who are kind of associated with the society. Um, and it's a sign that, that by um, giving some restoration to the priesthood that that, in fact, has happened. It has also resulted in a certain restoration of the religious life. So that was why the archbishop founded the Society of St. Pius X and, and you may know that he actually referred to a Lady Buenzasso in perhaps the most important sermon that he gave in his life on June 30th, 1988, when he did the consecrations of the four bishops. And he said, you know, there was there's one of our priests in Colombia sent me this notice uh, about our, our Lady of Buenzasso. He said, I didn't know about her before. Uh, and, and she made certain predictions. And one of the predictions she made is that it will be a prelate in the 20th century, who would restore the priesthood? He said, you know, I, I don't know if it's me or not. I'm just sort of throwing this, this out there. I don't know if it's, it's me. We, we, to this day, of course, we don't know if she was referring to Archbishop Lefebvre. Um, but the, the fact is that there is definitely um, a special connection between Our Lady of Buenzasso and us. And my dear faithful, I mean, we have this great grace of having Our Lady with us for this short time, for this week to come. She will be here for us to pray to her, for us to honor her. She's going to accompany us in this pilgrimage that we do every year on behalf of our parish. So this is a very, very special grace for all of us. And if, if you desire to turn around the crisis in the world, if you want the restoration of the church in these dark times, then you should turn to our Blessed Mother under this title. Especially during this week, you should invoke her with a very great confidence. Um, you, for one thing, we should ask her to help dematerialize us. We ourselves are affected by this environment that we live in. We should ask her for the help to be more detached um, from the material things that, that we all possess, to be um, pure in our lives than, than we have been in the past. We should ask her to give us this spirit of sacrifice that's so necessary to turn things around in our age. I mean, we, we tend to be so focused on political remedies or um, societal remedies, these, all these natural remedies that, that we hope in, uh, and we don't hope enough in supernatural remedies. We need to enkindle the spirit of sacrifice in ourselves the same spirit that our Lord and our Lady had in their lives if we really want um, society and the world to turn around. This is the real solution. And we have to ask her, above all, to assist us to do our duty of state to the best of our ability for supernatural ends. This is what we prayed on the second day of the Novena. And I just want to leave you with, with these words of the prayer from the second day. O oh God, Give us boundless confidence in Most Holy Mary of Buen Successo, the purification, and the grace of the fulfillment of the duties of our state and life, so that we may be worthy of such a holy mother and powerful protectress. 
may we always be grateful and docile subjects so that someday we can sing and praise thy glory in heaven. Our Lady of Buen Successo, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.